This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com. In today's dynamic retail landscape, tracking openings and closings before they take place has never been more important. Having this intelligence is an undeniable competitive advantage. RetailOpeningsAndClosings.com, also known as ROCK, tracks future openings and future closings. Comprehensive, accurate, and reliable, the ROCK is your crystal ball and the key to making well-informed decisions with confidence in today's evolving retail climate. Welcome to Retail Retold. Today we have Rob Arnold. Rob is the CEO of Launch Trampoline Parks. They currently have 31 locations open and 14 planned to open this year in 2020. Welcome to the show, Rob. Good morning. Thank you for having me, Chris. Yeah, man. So, Rob, why don't you tell a little bit about you, how this trampoline park business got started, and you guys have had some awesome growth and go from there. Sure, sure. So it all started on a rainy day in Florida on vacation. <laughs> we we're actually down in. <laughs> we uh, I don't know how, how many stories. Isn't that how they that, all start? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. All all great ideas. Um, you know, so so we uh, at, at, you know back in 2010 um, or two, sorry 2011, my wife and I were on vacation with with my kids at the time. They were very young, I believe four and about 18 months, and. Uh, we had, you know, taken our first Disney vacation down to Orlando and, uh, there we were, I had a rainy day and instead of being that family that decided to walk around Disney with those silly ponchos on, we, uh, my wife jumped online and was looking for indoor entertainment. And so we happened to stumble upon what they called a trampoline arena. And, uh, you know, I, I can make the story very long or very short, but I think the, the short of it was, um, we said, that looks awesome. You know, both my wife grew up as a, a gymnast, uh, competed in gymnastics and she was a pole vaulter. Um, I grew up rollerblading, you know, X games type, type things. And so we, we spent a lot of our childhood on trampolines. And so this, I think very selfishly, not so much for the kids, but for, for ourselves, this was the first business that we came into that we didn't look at the financials first. We looked at, this is awesome. Rhode Island needs one of these. And so, a, uh, a quick trip to one of these trampoline arenas back in the, in, in the back of an industrial warehouse, uh, quickly spiraled into the dream of a launch. So, uh, it's, it was very cool. Very, very What cool. year was that? That was 2011. And I, I must start by saying I walked in, thought it was pretty cool. We started jumping within five minutes. My wife was the one that looked at me and said, we need to open one of these. And I said, you're crazy. And five minutes later, I looked at her and I said, you might be onto something. So it was really uh, my wife that was the, the driver behind this. And, and so I got to give her the credit. And <laughs> awesome. And what were you doing before this? So I had a construction company. Um, I had about 15 guys working for me doing 
uh, light commercial and high-end residential. Um, my wife owned a gift shop um, down in Wakefield, Rhode Island. And so we were always right out of college and even in college, you know, we were always entrepreneurial, always opening businesses, buying properties, things of that nature. So, um, but yeah, construction was the, was, was supporting us and uh, love construction. I, I still love construction. I dabble from time to time and um, yeah, that turned into family entertainment somehow. So I think one of the things that entrepreneurs struggle with that you seem to get right in a short amount of time. Uh, and, and there's a lot of things that we all find challenges, but one of the things I find interesting is that you got into the franchising model pretty effectively, pretty quickly. And, you know, a lot of groups like they wait till they get to 20, 30 locations, maybe more. They really have trouble accessing the community of investors and entrepreneurs that want to be in franchises and they're competing with all these other franchises. How did you get moving into that model and be so successful in that model so quickly? You know, it's interesting. We, before we, as we were doing our research, you know, we were actually interested in being franchisees because we already had businesses up and running and we were already busy doing other things. Makes we sense. looked at this as an investment, you know, so we, so we went around and we were looking at the other franchises at the time that were available. And, you know, we looked at this and said, you know, this really, we did not align with any of the CEOs. They seem to be a warehouse model, you know, no video games, no junk food, no, you know, you know, nothing else. It all seemed to be birthday party room, warehouse, concrete floor, trampolines, check and desk. And that was it. And so the vision didn't align. I think a lot of the early trampoline park said, Hey, we are fitness. We're not entertainment. And so there was a kind of a, a little confusion as to what um, a lot of them thought, you know, what industry they thought they were in. And so from day one, we always, we always said, you know, we want to be Chuck E. Cheese on steroids. So, so anyways, we, we felt, we felt as though even before the first unit opened, we said, you know something, let me, let me go. I got very interested in franchising, just going through the process of looking at some of the others that were already established. And so I went to a franchise conference prior to the first unit being opened and started taking classes. And the funny thing is I sat in a seminar, this two day seminar with a group of people who all had five units or seven units or three units. And they came to me and they looked at me and said, you know, how many units do you have? I said, zero. <laughs> and so everybody in the room kind of like, yeah, who's this guy? Ooh, what a joke. And uh, I said, you know, I'll be back. You know, I'll be just, just wait, I'll be back. And the interesting thing, I actually, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have access to, you know, large investors or this, you know, this, this network of people. What we started off doing was uh, we opened two corporate locations first. And then while we were opening our second location, we started franchising with friends and family. So my father was our first franchisee. Um, and then a, my business partner's friend uh, down in Delaware was our second franchisee. Our marketing guy at the time was our third franchisee. And then my father opened a second unit. So really we didn't, we didn't, even though we started as a franchise, started franchising, we didn't go to market with the opportunity for a couple of years. We really wanted to make sure that we got our system squared away. And, you know, we worked with friends and, you know, friends and family first because we felt as though, hey, they're going to at least be honest and let's not, you know, let's not take somebody else's investment and, and 
you know, build this with somebody that we don't know until we know that this is, this is locked down and we feel comfortable. We can support the, support the business. Got it. Um, very interesting. And so pre pandemic, there was, you know, this huge growth of trampoline parks. What, you know, what give America some perspective, what, what drove this growth? There was, you know, they were, they were expanding everywhere and seemingly they were doing successful. They were be, being successful. What spurred this growth in your opinion, not just of launch, but of the, the industry. I think that the, the fact that it was something new, uh, the fact that, you know, starting as trampoline parks, I mean, I, I don't know a single kid that doesn't love a trampoline. And then when you attach a hundred of them together in one room, it's like, oh, you know, again, it's, it's, it's the serious wow factor. So um, I think there was a newness to it that everybody grasped onto um, like any concept. It hit all the major markets first and in some major markets saturated instantly. Um, it was, there's just something super fun about being a part of it. I think that um, where things started to get a little sloppy was, you know, like I said, oversaturating major markets um, and then going into markets that might've been secondary or church, tertiary, and there might be two or three in a small market and people starting to compete. And I think that there was, it was some, there's very interesting early on that before the concept was really proven, the early model was to pick the biggest, cheapest warehouse you could find and put a park in there because it was so new. And because it was so exciting, you didn't need frontage. You didn't need to be in these great retail locations. And so you would have family taking 10 lefts and seven rights to the back of an industrial park to a place that has, you know, 30 parking spots and there'd be 200 customers in there somehow finding a way to park around the neighborhood or around the industrial park, getting in there. Sure. It was just, it was a true destination. And when people sat back and looked at that, they said, you're paying $3 a square foot on rent and you're at capacity all day, every day on the weekends. And you know, they're just, you're just printing money. It's just huge margin. So obviously the financial factor drives it. Um, the, the early model was pretty easy. Like I said earlier, it's trampolines, check-in desk, um, and party rooms. And that was it. Nobody was making their own food. Nobody had video games. Nobody had any real elaborate, um, you know, sound systems or AV systems set up. It was very, very simple. So, so you, you mentioned, you know, the, the cash piece and that's, that's what happened in the yogurt phase. It was a cheap cost of entry and pretty profitable. And in, the, you know, right after the recession, when there was a Froyo guy in every center. Right. So yeah, <laughs> that, that's what happened, right. Is inexpensive to get in and it, it was pretty, profitable business, you know, until it got oversaturated and it was kind of a fad. Um, obviously we still have frozen yogurt. I, I guess, sure. you know, what is a good trampoline park doing volume in the U S what's like, obviously rent and cost of labor, all that matters, but what's like, what kind of numbers, you know, is like an average in the United States for trampoline parks. So, so interesting. You know, you talked about the, you know, yogurt, you know, I think that the thing I'm trying to relate trampoline parks to yogurt, but, um, you know, very simple model. Anybody can get into it for a low cost. You could come in. The operation is pretty simple. What, what happens with trampoline parks is that 
if you didn't evolve into, we're now launch entertainment. So we started as a launch trampoline park. We're now launch entertainment. And so what, what has happened is we've had this evolution over time that, all right, we were trampolines, video games, simple food. Now we have evolved into bowling, arcade, VR, trampolines, uh, climbing features. Um, you know, we have a fast casual restaurant. We've got a bar that's going in some locations right now. So it has really evolved into, into something bigger and better. When it comes to unit economics, I would say that your down and dirty trampoline park across the United States is averaging about 1.6 million for just a plain trampoline park. Um, When you get into something, what we would call our generation two. So what, what separates our generation two is a, you know, fast casual restaurant inside pizza restaurant, um, a full redemption arcade, and then um, either laser tag or another, you know, sizable feature in there outside of the, the, the obstacles that we can uh, charge for. Um, Good unit is, is up over $2 million. And then our, what we're calling our gen three is now, you know, model one is, you know, 20,000 square feet approximately. Model two is 27 to 30,000. Gen three is now 32 to 50,000 square feet. Um, and those are, those are grossing roughly 3.5 to, to 5 million. Um, wow. Investment levels are very different across the board though. You're talking, you know, we're not even doing the gen ones anymore. It doesn't make sense. And at, I hate to say this, but you know, the original trampoline, we say trampoline parks are dead. It's the original model. If you haven't evolved, you are going to die. And just like any retail, any retail that you see out there that isn't able to keep up or evolve, it's just, it'll go away. So um, that's been our, that's been our big push is making sure that we've always got fresh attractions. We're innovating. We've got access to um, new technology and, and making sure that our franchisees are implementing these things so that they are growing instead of dying. And so what, what, how much has the investment changed from gen one to gen three? Um, we originally, we were sitting around 1.2 to 1.5 million approximately. Uh, gen two came in around two, uh, two, two to two, five, uh, gen three, depending on what you're putting in your, your 3 million to 4.5 million. Um, our flagship location in Warwick, Rhode Island. Now we just built a brand new one. Um, is 44,000, 47,000 square feet, 12 lanes of bowling VR and the whole nine. I think we are into that for about four point, let's say 4.2, 4.3 million wow. around there. And so I, I think I know what you're going to say based on what you just said, but to those who two years ago were saying, and I'm using air quotes, trampoline parks were a fad and are a fad. What, what, what's your response to that? Um, if, I think generation one, the trampolines are not a fad. The trampoline portion is still the, I think everybody still comes for the trampolines primarily, but if you don't have anything else to bring to the table, you're just not exciting anymore because there are so many options out there and there's so many trampoline parks out there if you're not bringing something different um you're not going to win the you're not going to win the race yeah, and i think I, that yeah the trampolines are not a fad kids love the trampolines and you will still on a saturday see a main court of trampolines full of kids so it's just you've also got to 
an arcade full of kids and a laser tag full of kids as well now. So it's, it's a little different. Yeah, I would probably say that indoor entertainment's not a fad. And I think the name trampoline park probably needs to evolve. And that's the, the maybe the challenge to the, the naysayers is that clearly indoor entertainment is not a fad that is has staying power. And that's what, you know, that's why you've changed to launch entertainment. So. Um, yeah. I think fam- family entertainment's here to, you know, we always look at it and we say, you know, people will always spend money on, weddings, pets, and their kids, no matter whether they have money in their pocket or not. And so, you know, while we, we've always said, Oh, we're pretty recession proof. We, we might not be pandemic proof, but we are, we felt like we were recession proof. Whereas somebody will, will always find a way to spend 20 bucks on their kids. And, um, as long as you provide a great, fun, clean environment, they're, they're going to come to you. So let's talk about pandemic proof. And we're at a point where we're potentially going to, you know, there's some, states that are reopening and we're in the reopening world, you know, sure. what's your guys outlook on people coming back to the, these indoor entertainment venues? Interesting. It's, you know, it, it's funny. I think up until I, I try to get a pulse from, you know, all of our franchisees in different states, their, their network, some of their customers. Um, we've sent some surveys out to see what some customers are saying, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Um, you know, regionally, it is very different. So yeah. up in the Northeast, it seems like people are a lot more scared than people down South. And, you know, I think that unfortunately it's become a political thing and, you know, and, and it's, uh, there's a lot of fear sitting in people uh, right now, but w- what we're looking at and saying, you know, I think that what I've noticed in the last couple of weeks, we've been on full lockdown mode. I've, I, you know, I've based out of Rhode Island. We've been on full lockdown mode and you know, I take my son over to the baseball field and now I'm starting to get the other baseball dad saying, you know what, we're done. We're ready to come out and play with you, Rob. You know, uh, you know, we're, we're lengthening our leash. So I think, you know, some people are starting to think that this has been silly and they are ready to come back and join crowds and, and play games, be outside, be inside, whatever, whatever it might be, go back to restaurants. And there's still another portion of the population that is still petrified. And they're going to sit back and say, you know what, I think they're going to need to see that people can go back out into public, not get sick and just give it a little bit of time before they come back. So what we are anticipating is a slow buildup from the time that we open, you know, we're guessing it's probably going to be about a, a 40% decline in from projections um, and probably over the next eight to 12 months will slowly build back up to close to where we were. I don't know if we're going to get back to exactly where we were, but I'm, I'm hoping we'll be back at about 90% in the next eight to 12 months. And is there anything you're doing to, you know, and obviously of the two camps, you have the, the stir crazy camp that probably going to rush out to get out of the house. And then you have the, the cautious camp that as you called, you know, wants to see, make sure nobody gets sick, all that stuff. And and in particular to, you know, speaking to that camp, are you doing anything in, do you have anything planned in the parks to make the, the consumer feel safe and, you know, do some physical things to, to increase safety in the locations? Sure. Yeah. So we, what we've done, we've actually, you know, I think it's always best for us to err on the side of caution. 
Um, you know, I, <laughs> you know, sidetrack a little bit. I've learned, <laughs> learned a lesson back, back when we first opened, um, back when we first opened the Rhode Island park in, I don't know, 2012, we had a blizzard come through and it, it was a, you know, they always warned us about blizzards, you know, and, and, and they always call it, you know, every, you know, you get six inches, they were calling it a blizzard here in Rhode Island. <laughs> and so I had put, I had put a post out on Facebook cause we had, you know, 50 parties that weekend or a hundred parties where it was some crazy weekend. It was the middle of February and we put a post out. I did, I'll own this. And I put a picture of our, our, our logo, our mascot is a kangaroo. And I put a picture of a kangaroo in the snow and I, the post said, blizzard schmizzard <laughs> launch will be open tomorrow at 1 p.m and i was got it so, so <laughs> yeah so the next morning i went out and i was you know shoveling my neighbor's driveway and all of a sudden my neighbor came out with her ipad and she said you guys are getting crucified online look at all of this bad press and it was sure enough there were 200 comments you guys are evil i can't believe you're making people come out or you know you're not canceling birthday parties whatever. So I think we learned early on that perception is everything. And, and, you know, we need to err on the side of caution. And so when this all happened, blizzard schmizzard was going through my mind and we said, you know, something we are better to close early, close fast. Let's, let's shut everything down. And so with the reopening, it's blizzard schmizzard still on my head as well. Um, you know, when you come in and you bring your kids into, into enjoy the park, they usually get jump socks this time we're handing out jump socks with a, it's a cool launch. I'd say, a, a, it, I call it a face mask, but it's more of like a, a sporty neck gaiter. So we're going to start by, by handing the customers all, you know, sport, these, these sporty neck gaiters so that they're, so that everybody feels comfortable. It's not a, you know, big silly face mask. It's something that's cool. The kids will love it. Um, you know, our, in our eating areas, we're going to, you know, use every other table. Uh, customers can sit at every other table. Bowling lanes will be every other lane. Trampoline capacity will be severely decreased when we first start. And then we, we've always been huge on cleanliness. I mean, I think you've been in our parks and, you know, you've got one in, in your spot in Deptford there. I mean, we've always been spotless. We've always used antimicrobial cleaning agents. We have this uh, electromagnetic fogging machine. So that, that seals everything up. And um, I think, added cleaning procedures, decreasing capacity, um, providing face masks, providing, um, you know, extra staff to just go around and constantly clean behind everybody. We've tripled down on our hand sanitizing stations. So it's really, you know, I think perception is everything and, and making sure that we're, you know, on, on top of it. And that, that's great. Providing, providing face masks is the first one I've heard that's doing that. So that's great. Yeah. I think if, <clears throat> I think a lot of kids, you know, people think, oh, this might be silly or a lot of people think it's great, but if we can make it cool, then let's make it cool. You know, at least the kids will be, we'll have different, you know, different colors, all the birthday party kids will be getting them. So I think it'd be something cool for all these kids to run around with some, you know, cool launch branded face masks. So it'd be fun. Got to make it fun. Very, very neat. And are you going to open when the governments allow, or are you doing it differently? A little bit differently. We are, so we, we've actually, we have the green light to open in Georgia and we have a couple locations down in Georgia. Um, what we are doing is <clears throat> again, thinking of blizzard schmizzard in my head and the negative press, you know, I think we need to let, let this blow over for a little bit, let other people open, let the crowd start to feel comfortable. And then we'll have a three to four week kind of tail behind 
with a slow and very careful opening. Um, so I believe that our first locations that are planned to open will be in Georgia. Um, again, I think we could have opened this this past Friday when we're under certain circumstances, but we will be opening, I believe it's the week of the 17th, May 17th. So we're going to give it three or four weeks, let it blow over and actually reevaluate. We may not even open then. We just need to reevaluate and make sure that everybody's starting to feel comfortable. You know, cause in, in our world, you know, if, if we can't have a hundred people in there, we can't make money. We might as well be closed because we're just, we're just throwing money away anyway. So we just, we need to make sure that we are, we're able to safely bring the capacity in and, and make sure that everybody feels comfortable. So we're going to give it a little, we're going to give it a little time. Got it. All right. Well, you know, one of the, 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 the premise of this show, that was a great color is the story behind the deal. And, um, you have an interesting story about how your, your first, uh, location opened in Rhode Island. Um, and what town was that in? Warwick, Rhode Island. In Warwick. Uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us how that happened? So interesting. We, you know, after our trip to Florida, um, and so the first few days in Florida, we had, uh, you know, we, we went to the trampoline arena, uh, first week of Florida. The second week we were down in Florida, we spent the whole rest of the time trying to map out where we would go and, and, uh, what this place was going to look like when we, when we got home. And we knew that, you know, the busiest retail corridor on route two, it is route two in Warwick is I believe 80 something percent of retail tax dollars in the state of Rhode Island come from route two. Um, everybody knows, everybody knows route two, everybody goes shopping there. Um, we first tried an old comp USA. Um, there was a price right in there that shut us down. And so this was first commercial lease we ever signed. And we're sitting here going, you've got this 30,000 square foot building. Why don't you want us? And we just didn't understand. So this and that was crazy. the law. You, you, need, you needed a waiver. There was a restriction in the lease and they wouldn't let you in. Right. Yep. I had no idea what that was. I just thought yeah. the landlord was so stupid that they wouldn't let us in. Right. So, so then we went across the street and there was a furniture store and, um, we, we actually signed an LOI for the upstairs where it was their bargain, uh, their bargain center. It was going to be about 24,000 square feet, signed an LOI. We started designing and then the owner pulled the plug on us right at, right at least signature. So he said, no, I don't, I don't want to do it now. I don't, I don't feel safe. You know, this is crazy. This is dangerous. We're not doing it. And oddly enough, we ended up down the road and there was an old sports authority location. This is sports authority was still in business. They had just moved down the road and downsized, went from a 42,000 square foot location down to a, maybe a 10 or 8,000 square foot location. So they severely downsized and we ended up splitting the building with planet fitness. So we each took you know, 20, approximately 20,000 square feet. Planet Fitness was on one side and the launch was on the other and um, ended up making great use of a, of a sports authority uh, building. The, the, I think the crazy part of this story is that, you know, sports authority, so sports authority was still our landlord and then sports authority leased from the, so it was a sub, it was a sublet from, from sports authority to us. And here we are five years into it cranking and, and, you know, rocking and rolling or four years into it. And all of a sudden we get this note saying sports authority 
is, is claiming bankruptcy and you either need to pack your stuff or buy the building or lease the building. And, and they had leased the building for some exorbitant amount of money. And we, you know, we were in there for about half the price of what sports authority was paying. And, um, it, it forced us to move. We, uh, we tried to strike a deal and, and funny thing is we, we just rebuilt, um, went to our generation three park, which is about a half mile down the road back at that original, uh, furniture location that we started with that they pulled the plug on us. So it's, it's kind of a funny circle of events that had happened there. Wow. That is fascinating. So you were subleasing <laughs> from sports authority, sports authority yep. files. So you're new to like renting in the commercial real estate game and you went the a complicated way, which is you have to sublease from, <laughs> from sports yeah. authority versus a direct lease with the landlord. And so you sublease it from sports authority, they file. And so at that point, what were you, what, what did you, what was your next step? Did you reach out to sports authority or the landlord directly? Uh, reached out to the landlord because obviously the, the landlord was the one that sent us, landlord was the one that sent us the letter and said, Hey, listen, you know, I think planet fitness and launch combined, were paying about four fifty gross, um, on the space. Sports authority was paying eight fifty. Cause I think the landlord built that, built the whole thing out for them and they just paid this monster rent uh, for this space. So, so the Delta was, Hey, you guys need to come up with the other $400,000 some way, somehow, or pack your stuff. And he was tough. He was a, you know, this guy out of Chicago, um, you know, was involved in the, uh, the waste hauling business. So, you know, he was a tough guy and uh, he gave us a hard time and we tried to actually buy the building. We ended up losing the bid to um, Ocean State job lot. And then uh, we ended up ultimately having to move down the road. Got it. So it didn't work out. And, and did you, did you, it didn't work out. You couldn't reach terms. Um, and what was the, was it just rent? Is that what the issue was? It, it, at first it was rent. And then the landlord said that he was not, he was no longer interested in owning the building. So he went from, uh, we, we ended up paying a holdover rent. Yeah. I mean, you said, you, you said it earlier, you know, I was new to this. This was a crash course. I mean, you, we went from, you know, walking into comp USA saying, why don't you want us to, you know, a couple of years later getting our first eviction because, you know, sports authorities out and, and here we are saying, oh my gosh, what do we do? And what's holdover rent? And what, what do you mean you, we, you're collecting 50% more just to keep us in there for now? And so we ended up paying a holdover rent for a period of time until we could, until we could lock down our next space and, and build, our, build our space down the road. And um, it, it, was, uh, it was a little tricky. It's definitely stressful. And I think you know, one, thing, one thing I can add, add a little color to it is that when we opened the first unit, you know, my wife and I ended up with, we, it was a lot more expensive than we thought it was going to be coming into the, into this venture. We had $80 left in our bank account when the first unit opened. So, um, we had some incredible success early on, which was great. But then here we are three or four years later telling us to, telling us to get out of the building. Um, and I think the lesson learned there was, you know, at the, at the time that we signed it, nobody would have ever thought that sports authority was going out of business. So why, why would we even think, Oh, this could be a problem down the road. 
But had I signed that a year before Sports Authority went out of business, I would have lost everything. I would have lost everything. I wouldn't have made my money back in time. I would have, it would have completely crippled my family. So it's, wow. it's lessons learned and making sure you dot your I's, cross your T's and, you know, and make sure you've got good real estate attorneys on your side that are, that are, make sure you cover your butt. It could have been devastating. Um, wow. And so how were, how long were you closed before you reopened? We shut it down in September of 2017 and we reopened March of 2018. So about six months. Got it. And did you have any other open franchises, franchisees at the time? We did. Yep. So we, our first, at least I think our first actual franchise was with my father was our first franchisee 2013. And then he was our sixth unit in 2015. 2016 is when we really started coming out of the gates and really pushing the franchise opportunity to uh, people outside of friends and family. And so 2016 was a, was a big push and, and really from then on has just, you know, growing leaps and bounds every single year. Got it. Well, that's a great story. Um, really fascinating. And for those who don't know, holdover rent is when the term is expired and, but you, the tenant does not leave the space. It is a increased rent. They're holding over past the term as a motivation and incentive to either exit or renew the lease, uh, depending on what the parties want to do. So anyway, for those who didn't know, but listen, Rob, that was one of the more interesting stories, really fascinating, great lessons learned, true bootstrapped entrepreneurial story. So thank you for that. I think everyone uh, will find that interesting. Uh, Last thing on that, the sublease, did you negotiate with sports authority or the landlord? With it. So, I'm going to add another layer. I I even simplified it. So here's how this went down. (laughs) Landlord to Sports Authority. Sports Authority to Planet Fitness franchisee. Planet Fitness franchisee to launch. So we had layer, layer, layer. So there was multiple subleases in there. So when we came in, you crazy, right? So so when we came in, we actually subleased. so, So the Planet Fitness franchisee leased the entire subleased it from sports authority and they only needed 22,000 and they leased the remainder of the space to us. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. We diced that thing up, but it, it was great. I mean, we were both did planet very stay? Successful. <laughs> no, no. Um, planet. No, they moved down the road as well. I mean, we, cause ocean state we bought to, it and wanted to put in their store. Yeah. They, yeah. And then crazy enough, we got beat out on the bid by a job lot during their due diligence period. We signed a deal down the road and then home Depot actually shut down the ocean state deal because it's a condo plaza and home Depot's in the same space or same area. And they shut down the ocean state deal. So somebody else ended up buying it, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just deals were changing very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, we, we missed out. We tried to buy it. We were going to stay launch and planet fitness and we were going to own the building. Uh, we talked about buying the building together, but it just, uh, unfortunately, I think fortunately it did work out because we, that was our generation one park as great as it, as stressful as it was to move down the road and as great as it would have been to stay there. 
I think that what this did was this really pushed us to build our next generation and really make sure that the Warwick, Rhode Island Park, our, our home base flagship was the model going forward. And so we didn't want to do it, but it was probably, it, it worked out for the best in the long run because it really set the tone for all the new franchises opening from here on. Fascinating. Fascinating. All right. Well, that was an amazing story. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, the, the last part of our show, we call retail wisdom. It's three questions. Tell me when you're ready, Rob. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do this. <laughs> and for those who don't know, a lot of people know the questions beforehand. Rob doesn't. So question one, <laughs> best piece of commercial real estate advice for those listeners out there. Oh my gosh. I think I've, I think I've uh, spoken a few lessons of my own here. I would say if I can, if I can throw two in there, like number one would be make sure, <clears throat> make sure you understand the market very well. Make sure you understand the demographics, traffic patterns, and make sure that the anchors in, if you're going into a plaza, making sure that the anchors are solid businesses that I don't want to say Amazon proof, but uh, we feel are going to be around for a long time. I think it's, we often see a good deal and, and want to jump at a deal. And next thing you know, the plazas are starting to die around us and we now have a dead zone. Uh, number two is, is making sure, again, making sure you've got a solid real estate attorney dotting the I's, crossing the T's for you. Got it. Okay. You don't, you don't know what you don't know. La uh, second question. Extinct retailer you wish would come back from the dead. <laughs> a lot of good ones out there. I want to go back to childhood though. Where, maybe you can, maybe you can remember Friday night, Saturday night, where would we go as kids? I'll leave you to guess that one. Where would we go as kids? Uh, I went to the local football game, but, um, they, they go even younger. Right. So my, my thought is blockbuster video. Oh, blockbuster. There was something very cool about going in wondering if, your movie was going to be available or not. And uh, I don't know. I, I think, in, you know, we've got instant gratification now and things zip right to your phone or Netflix or whatever. But, you know, there was just something really cool and fun about going to Blockbuster Video and looking at all the movies. You had the new releases. You had the old ones for that were a little bit cheaper. So it's pretty cool. I love Blockbuster. <laughs> awesome. All right, last question. So a little... Yep retail fund. So one of the top hiking boots out there. Okay. Is the, the Timberland trail waterproof boots. Okay. I am on tacticalgear.com. What do those boots retail for? You could give me the sale price or the, tr the actual retail price. Um, <laughs> uh, sale price. I'm going to go. I love, I like, I like Timberlands. Um, I would say sale price, 69.95 full retail, 109.95 sale price, 93.75 full retail. You're closer 114.95, but thank you for playing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Always wanted to be on price and right. That was, there you know, go. That, watch that show when you 
are homesick from school. So this was, if this is the closest I'll ever get, I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. Well, listen, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on. Fascinating story, really good insights on post pandemic. I think this is really great. And the listeners are going to get a, a lot out of it. Really appreciate it. And good luck out there. Thanks. I, I appreciate you having me on. And, and I, you know, I just, to, you know, throw a little DLC plug. I mean, I love, I love, we get to talk from time to time. It's always great talking to you. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, it, a landlord tenant relationship is always tough. Uh, not always tough. It can be tough. And, you know, I, you're one of the, the few guys I really enjoy talking to. I know you guys are just stand up property owners, landlords, and, uh, you know, we appreciate everything you've done. And, um, you know, obviously we've got a lot of rodeos left in our life and a lot of deals to be made in the future. So thanks for having me. And, uh, you know, keep crushing it. Appreciate it. You too. Thanks, Rob. And listen, man, uh, if you need anything, give me a ring. All right. You got it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you are a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.